Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, a very special edition as your Atlanta Braves are the NL East champions. But before we get into that, we would like to thank our sponsors from mybookie.ag. As always, if you're looking to get in on this betting season, you want to throw a little money down, you want to win some money betting on football, baseball, basketball, I'm sure that's about to start up, soccer, that never seems to quit, hockey, I know, is back around. Whatever whatever it is, whatever sport you like to bet, if you want to prove that you're better than everybody else at it, throw a little bit down. If you want to bet in-game, you can. You can change inning to inning. If you want to bet that Mike Fultonevich has a 1-2-3 in the top of the fourth, you can do that. Just go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code BRAVES25, and they will match your first offer up to $1,000 plus they will give you $25 extra just for using that promo code. It is a sweet, sweet deal for anybody that likes to gamble online. You don't have to be a degenerate to do it, guys. If you're if you're a great baseball analyst and you know what's going on and, and you know how to predict patterns, it's easy money. If you're going to bet that Ronald Acuna hits a home run, it's a pretty safe bet right now. Win yourself a little money. Feel smart. Go brag to your friends. Again, go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code BRAVES25 and let them know that you heard it here first on the Platinum Sombrero. Now, as I mentioned, how long has it been, Doc? 2013 since the last time the Braves won a division? That is affirmative. Five years. Five years and it feels like ten, quite honestly. It feels like it's been a decade since we've won. For as many championships, you know, from 91 to 2005, you had 14 out of 14, uh, minus the strike year, of course. And then in the 13 years since that ended, there have been two. So this one is this one is extra sweet. I think it's extra sweet for a number of reasons. One, just the style of, of game that the Braves play, I think, is very conducive to drawing fans in. It's not a lot of boring baseball. You look at some teams like the Cardinals. They're always great, except for like the last couple years, really. But for the most part, the Cardinals are always a great team. 
they're also one of the most boring teams to watch for an entire season. I'm not entirely sure why it is. Maybe it's like their entire team has the personality of like a stick of gum, of like a piece of extra, you know. But this Braves team is different. You've got speed. You've got power. You've got a ton of youth. You've got a ton of swagger. You've got young fireballs on the mound. You don't have guys up there throwing 88 except for when Julio and Anibal pitch, but but that's okay. You're intermixed with young flamethrowers. Everybody's out there doing their thing, and all the young guys contributed significantly, and I think that is probably the point. When you get to have a team full of 28, 29, 30-year-olds, everybody kind of expects what happens from them, and I think that's part of the thing with the Cardinals, at least for me maybe. They don't have very many guys that are like, got to tune in and watch. Everybody seems to do their job. Nobody goes out of their way. Nobody kind of... Uh, nobody. Everybody sticks in their role. On this Braves team, there seems to be a new hero every week, at least until Ronald Acuna really got going. And it was then it was just move over everybody else, and we're going to put Ronald Acuna up here. No, that's that's a really good point. The Cardinals are a really good uh, good example of very very vanilla baseball, you know. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just plain. It's it's boring. Um, but this team, it's it's just amazing. There there have been. A thousand different times where it's like no matter when you turn the game on, whether you're watching from first pitch or you just you tune in halfway through the third inning or something, there's always something happening. There's something going on. And it's it's great. I mean, even for for diehard fanatics as we are, then this this year in particular has been really, really special in that regard, because it's not just that they've won. It's how they've won the enthusiasm they've done it with. It's great. And the ability to come back in the late innings consistently, that I think is a huge thing because you always st- you have to stay tuned into the games because as long as you're not down eight runs going into the seventh, the Braves, honestly, they have a shot to come back. They're a team that continuously plays extremely well at the end of the games. We've talked about how bad the bullpen can be at times. It hasn't stopped the Braves from having the most come-from-behind wins in the seventh inning or later. It, it, it's just a different type of team, and it's – Quite honestly, and I've watched the Braves as long as I can remember. I was born in 91, so say the first time I can really start to remember games, let's say 96, 97, when I was five. Um, to me, this this may be – I don't think it's the best team the Braves have ever had, obviously. Um, there were there were quite a few World Series teams in there. I don't even think that this team is as talented as the team in, uh, what was it, 2011, uh, where we had – uh, Hayward and Upton and Freddie and Chipper was still on the team and everybody and, uh, we were supposed to go deep in the playoffs um, I think that was 2011 uh, but anyway this Braves team I think they're most definitely the most fun team to watch I think they're most I think they're the most exciting team just because you don't really ever know what's gonna happen that night at any point in that night, you could have just one drop of a hat and all of a sudden everybody in this team gets into the action and the Braves put up nine runs. Or it could be a game where it's a super tight game and somebody makes a hustle play, whether it's Dansby, whether it's Ozzy, whether it's Ronald Acuna, or whether Camargo or Nick Marcakis come up clutch or Freddie Freeman as always. There's always some moment in these games that make you sit back and just kind of laugh a little bit. And and there's rarely a situation that when somebody is supposed to be that guy who who gets that big hit or makes that big play, there's no spot in the order where I'm just going, oh, come on, not this guy. This is the worst possible scenario. Like I have equal faith in every single person in the lineup to come up and do something big at any given time. It's I've never felt like this. 
you know, in the, the 2013 team with, with BJ Upton and Dan Ugla. I mean, that's huge, huge black holes right there. And, and Gerald Laird when he was the catcher, you know, <laughs> G-E-Z. like, like Gerald, if you're listening, man, I'm sorry, but like, you just gave me a bad feeling every time you came up to bat, you know? So I don't know. There, there's a lot, um, there's a lot that can be said for this team. And so when it comes time for this next phase and it's still up in the air, who the Braves are going to wind up facing. Um, it was, it's been the Dodgers for a while. Now it's the Rockies could be the Dodgers again, could be, could be any number of scenarios that, that play themselves out. But I, I am not convinced that this team is going to just kind of clam up and go back inside their shell because they, they get nervous all of a sudden. I mean, and, and we talked about Acuna, like he loves the bright lights. He loves being the focal point. That's like all of these guys. There's nobody that's scared of the, the spotlight. So I think it bodes really well for them going forward. And I agree with you. I think everybody handles it very, very well. And I think while, while I mentioned that everybody, like they're not like the Cardinals where everybody sits into a role. I think the Braves do have clearly defined roles with these players. I think each player fills his own niche. And I think when you put it together, it makes an outstanding team. You've got Freddie, who is supposed to be the consistent guy, the guy that can at any point can put you ahead. Ronald Acuna is most definitely the spark plug. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, and you've mentioned this, and we talked about this with Eno. Uh, however Ronald Acuna does, that that's how the Braves are going to do. He is already the best player on this team. Uh, there, there's no real qualms about it. Freddie is an amazing player. Ronald Acuna is just better. He's just more talented than anybody else you're going up against until you face teams like the Dodgers who have Manny Machado. That's it. When you start looking at playoffs, you start looking at who the other guys have and who you have. You're going to have to go a long way in the National League to find any team that has a, play, a player more talented than Ronald Acuna. It's just not there. Now, granted, it's not basketball where one player can really win everything for you. But when you start doing that, you've got everybody. Everybody else kind of falls in after that. Freddie's kind of your understated Joey Votto guy who's just always going to outperform what people think he's doing. He's going to be very under the radar, and that suits him. Uh, Marcakis is going to be. There's no other thing to call Marcakis but professional. That's just if there was if there was ever a perfect player to fit the professional hitter mold that everybody says is a joke. It's Nick Marcakis. Uh, Ozzy is the energy bump type of guy. Camargo is just a clutch guy. And how many times this season did the Braves come up in the fifth or the sixth inning uh, with a runner on second base and Camargo lines one of those singles right into to center field that he so want to do. Uh, it's just a great thing. The one thing that you worry about is obviously the bullpen. So getting a Rodas back is huge for this bullpen because mm-hmm. I've mentioned before I'm not uh, I'm not fully on board the AJ Minter train, and I, I know the numbers. I know he actually uh, blew less saves than Craig Kimbrell this year. I'm, I'm fully aware of that, uh, but. I, I have mentioned this before. Craig Kimbrell has too, or uh, Craig Kimbrell, AJ Minter has too much Fernando Rodney in him for me to trust him in playoff times at the end of the game like that. If it's matchup based, sure, but he's not a guy that I'm going. I'm, I'm not saying he's an Araldus Chapman. I'm not saying that he's even an Andrew Miller or a Craig Kimbrell type. He's a guy that he's going to put somebody on base every time he's out there. It's just going to happen, and my heart can't take that. And what's really important to remember about Mentor is that this time last year, we were celebrating the fact that he was able to pitch on back-to-back days again, finally, you know, because that was the longest thing for him. He had Tommy John before he got drafted, and he's slowly been working his way back. And so he's not – 
I don't want to say he's not a hundred percent, but there's still like the farther away that you get from these types of injuries, the more you can do. And he's, he's not just up there playing soft toss. I mean, he can still touch 97. He's obviously fantastic, but it's the end of the year. We've talked about how many of these different guys are running up against career highs and innings. Certainly the case for him. And there's a big difference between being a setup guy and being a closer. Like it takes that certain mentality. And that's not to say that he won't someday have it or that he hasn't shown flashes of it this season, but it's a lot, it's a lot to ask for somebody who in their first full professional year is stepping into this role. He was kind of thrust in it too. It's not like he won the job out of, out of spring training or something. So I still have faith in him, but you kind of have to know that he's going to follow that same pattern as everybody else in the bullpen, where it's like things are going to get interesting for about the next five, ten minutes. That's not to say that something bad's going to come of it, but I mean, how many how many shutdown innings has this bullpen had all year? Like five, right? Like Total. you don't you don't see a one two three inning out of our bullpen. Yeah, and and anymore, I don't know if I'm desensitized to it or or what, but I almost don't even care. You know, get the outs, load the bases with nobody out. If you get the outs, I don't care. It's one of those things. I don't want it to come off like I'm being critical of AJ Minter. I think AJ oh, Minter no, is a, is a dominant bullpen piece in whatever mode that you have him in there. Uh, I'm I'm talking more about the fact that it helps the entire bullpen out when you have a Rodas who now. It's almost a blessing in disguise that you shut him down on the 60 because now he's the freshest arm in your bullpen. He's come out yeah. and he's looked great coming back. Uh, he looked great in his rehab, and he's he's carried it over into the actual season. Now it's the Mets, so it's hard to gain full ideas of what he's doing, but everything's moving correctly. He seems to have fastball command right now, uh, which is always the thing with a Rotus. If he doesn't have the fastball command, then he's not going to have the off speed and teams can just sit on that sinker of his. But as it is right now, I think you've got clearly he's, he's your closer. If not, you're going to match up. The emergence of Chad Sabaka is the thing. And we talked about this Briefly, when Chad first got called up and he started gunning people down, Chad Sabatka was my pick as the Braves reliever of the year in the minor league system when we put those out on OFR.com. Sabatka is just a different type of dude. He's, He's a giant of a man with the velocity to match. And... He doesn't – I don't think he's got a particularly high spin rate. I'd have to look at this. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this. But he's got a good late-breaking slider that he uses very effectively that he can put generally where he wants it in the zone. Uh, I'm not sure. I thought I've seen him play around with a changeup a little bit. But for the most part, he's fastball slider. And his fastball, it's fast. It doesn't move much, but it has a lot of late life just from the way that he throws and how close he is by the time he lets it go. In the emergence of Sabatka, he'll walk a few every once in a while, but he is an eraser so far in his very short career in the pen. No doubt. What a great surprise he has been. You know, we we both kind of took notice of him back in back in June, July when he was uh, coming up through. I think he started the season in Florida and then wound up in Mississippi and went, you know he he rode that. Louise Gahara, Bryce Wilson, that same uh, trajectory. And he's just, he hasn't really wavered. He's given up some home runs. And like you said, yeah, he's going to walk some guys. But um, part of his delivery, there's just so many moving parts. He's like playing his leg over here and he's doing this with it. I mean, by the time you even realize that the pitch is upon you, you know, because he's just kind of flailing about. I mean, that's whirlwind of arms, whirlwind of arms and legs and distracting motions. Yeah, it's, it's a lot to keep up with, you know? So he's uh, deception helps uh, certain guys that, that can't can't even really touch too much above 90. Deception will really help some of these guys. Like Adam Simber, who pitches for the Indians, 
you know, he stays mid to high 80s, but he's a side armor. So it's just a completely different angle than what, what you're normally used to seeing. So, but for a guy like Sabatka who can touch 97 and touch he's 100. got the deception. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's right. And, and with the devastating stuff, I mean, he's one of these younger guys. We've talked about guys. They don't have a lot of tape on. He's, he's a good one. I think so. I believe he was from the 2014 draft, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, That's and, right. And uh, when he came up, he came up right there with Adam McCreary and uh, Wes Parsons the first time. And uh, Sabaka just came in. It, it was almost from his very first outing when you saw him the first time he came up, and you just see him pop in the mitt, and you see that he's placing the ball generally where he wants it to be, whether it be off by a centimeter or two. But you knew that he had enough com- command to put the ball where he wanted. And I love that he started out kind of being your mop-up guy, but he has already moved into high leverage situations. And Snickers already said that they are not going to be afraid to use Chad Sabaka in the highest leverage of situations. I think Sabaka has got a chance to actually end up being a closer type. And we talk about AJ Minter and Minter full on could be a left-handed Craig Kimbrell. Like everybody's saying, I'm not going to say that because Craig Kimbrell is one of the best closers baseball's ever seen, but AJ Minter certainly has the talent to do that. And he has a, uh, at least a three pitch repertoire for if everything's working, but Sabaka has got that going so far where even if you do hit it, he'll give up some home runs, but he hasn't given up a ton of, of, of clean contact. No, I mean, yeah, he he's uh, a really solid addition, you know. He's and completely under the radar too. Was never on any of the prospect lists. He was never any of, was supposed to be that kind of guy. And that 2014 draft was not a very lucrative draft as far as talent <laughs> went, especially once. Yeah, well, I mean, once you start, especially when you put it in the context of the past four drafts, but that one. That was the one where Braxton Davidson was the number one pick. That was um, Garrett Falenchek and Max Posey. None of the, you know, Falenchek got traded for international money. Posey got dealt for. He was in, uh, he was in one of the, was he in the Luis Gohara trade? I can't, I can never keep straight who was in which one, but he, he wound up going to the Mariners and with, uh, with Rob Whalen for, whether it was for Ajax or for. Uh, I think that one was the Luis Gohara. And I think, and I could be wrong, but the other one was who was the Malik Smith and Shea Simmons. That one actually, I think that was Gohara. I think you're right. I think I think Posey and Whalen were for Ajax. Yeah, and and Tyler Pike, who second article I wrote for Talking Chop was about how I expected a big season out of Tyler Pike. The only big thing about Tyler Pike's season was his walk rates. Oh my god. Uh, Unbelievable. He's a guy going off going off script a little bit. He's a guy that if he could ever just, you know, cut down the walks to like four per nine, Tyler Pike could be a major league pitcher out of the bullpen. He's got great stuff. He just cannot throw a strike to save his life. I think at he one does. point this year, didn't he have like a zero ERA and like a seventy one FIP? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anybody with such a difference between the two, you know, and he's got big strikeout numbers, but can't hit the freaking zone. At <laughs> He's gonna all. walk the bases loaded and then strike out the side. That's that's what he does. He belongs in his bullpen, doesn't he? And he's worked, and it's it's crazy because he's worked with guys like Dom Chidi and Dennis Llewellyn. How if you can't if Dennis Llewellyn can't drop your walk rate under seven, I don't have any hope for you at all. Well, and that was why I was so optimistic about him because Llewellyn had moved down to Florida. 
um, for the 2017 season. And I thought that that was going to be because Soroka and Allard and all of those guys from that great 2016 Rome rotation were going to move up there. But Allard, uh, Soroka, Freed, and Weigel all went into Mississippi. So uh, Llewellyn wound up working with Pike. He worked with Tukey a lot. And Ricardo Sanchez. Ricardo Sanchez. And, And with the results he was getting out of Pike were excellent. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, he's... Llewellyn's going back to Mississippi for 2018. Pike's going with him. This guy's going to be the next breakout guy. He was not the next <laughs> breakout guy. <laughs> so one of those where you write on the list of watch this guy, and you try to put that feather in your cap, and it uh, turns out that that bird took a dump on you as it flew over. But uh, Yeah, my preseason predictions were, by and large, they, some of them wound up coming true. That one, that one was not good. That was my worst take coming into the year. Yeah, I, I understand a thing or two about bad takes, but uh, – I mean, it, it, it's been that kind of theme for the bullpen. Like, you're, you're looking right now, and the guys that were, you know, the mainstays of the bullpen, Dan Winkler, Shane Carl, Sam Freeman, unfortunately. Uh, these guys are in real danger, aside from Sam Freeman. They're in, they're, there are real dangers for these guys who got you to this point, not even making your playoff roster. Like at this point today, if you're setting out a bullpen rotation, and, and Doc, I want us to kind of go back and forth on this one a little bit, I'm not putting Winkler on my playoff on my playoff roster. I I didn't have him on on mine either. I mean, Just at least for the NLDS, maybe he can take a little bit of time, kind of rest a little bit. But he's gassed. He's. I mean, he's. He do you see his velocity? His velocity is all the way down to like 87, 88. I mean, he oh. was a guy that was throwing 93, 94 to start the year. Now, granted, he sits about 92. But when he was in that last game against uh, against the Mets, he was throwing 87, 89. I did not realize it had gotten quite that bad. Yeah, give the good guy, give the guy some time. I mean, he's another one we talked about about Minter kind of not limping his way back, but definitely being slow walked. I mean, Winkler Winkler just now exhausted his rookie eligibility this year, and he was a Rule Five guy in 2014. You know, like he <laughs> has been around forever, and so like if he's starting to show that level of wear and tear. You know, the Braves win the World Series, he'll still get a ring, but I don't think that he's going to wind up helping a whole lot between now and when that happens. And it doesn't mean that you don't give him the credit he's due for for the amazing he job, job he did to start the season. He's just been a a very streaky bullpen guy. When he's on, nobody's touching him. But if he doesn't have it, he's getting torched. And right now, and for the last, really, about the last month, he's been getting torched. Shane Carl's the same way. What Shane Carl did to start the season was nothing short of miraculous. When Erodis went down and you thought you had nobody in that bullpen, and Shane Carl was, at one point, the best reliever, aside from closers, in all of baseball. Now, that has come crashing back down to earth. People are starting to hit on. He's starting to be a little bit more like the Shane Carl that we thought he would be. But that doesn't erase what he did to that point. And when you start talking about the bullpen rotations, you're probably going to have a nine-man bullpen. And that's going to be Arodis, Minter, Sabatka, obviously. Um, I don't think that they could not put Sam Freeman on. They're not going to be able to make themselves not use Sam Freeman. And to to whatever point it may be, Freeman's been a little bit better lately. I'll give him that. I I still don't trust him. But he's still going to be in that bullpen. You're going to talk about, I think, uh, Biddle. Biddle's a a question mark for me. I'd still put him on, um, but he's obviously starting to to get hit a little bit harder. Then you've got the starters. Tukey's obviously in there. You want to talk about uh, Sean Newcomb, I think, is definitely in there. Now, I don't know if he makes the NLDS roster. 
hint, hint, but he's definitely going to be on the roster as far as bullpen guys. Max Freed, you know, is going to be there as well. They still have to make a determination whether they're going to carry Kyle Wright or or uh, Bryce Wilson in there as well. So I think that you see Bryce, Kyle Wright, Winkler, and Carl left off the bullpen rotation. Yeah, I, I had the same. Um Luke Jackson will. I will totally not forgot about Luke. Playoffs either. I, I forgot about Luke, hoping that the Braves would forget about him as well. I uh, so for my my starting four, I have Fulty, obviously Gaussman, Animal, and I could not decide between Tukey and Newcomb. And I know that Newcomb has been very ineffective in recently, but I'm trying to play matchups here. So I'm looking at okay. What was the best outing Newcomb had all year? Oh, yeah, it was that time that he almost threw a no-hitter against the Dodgers. What was another one of his best outings this year? When he completely he went toe-to-toe with Kyle Freeland and completely shut down the Rockies' offense. I think I give Nuke a start. I genuinely do. I think more so that, you know, we've there's been talk about Fulty and, and dealing with weather and everything, and Fulty's a sweater. You know, he sweats a lot. Ain't nothing on on Newcomb. Newcomb will go through a hat in an inning. Yeah, oh, I've seen him do it. But Fulty's Illinois, and it gets cold in Illinois, but it gets hotter than hell in Illinois. Nuke is from Boston, or he's from from outside of Boston. So it, it gets hot there, but it doesn't get Illinois hot. It doesn't get Atlanta hot. He's still not fully used to that. So now we're getting into October, getting into pitching in even Atlanta in October is so much, if I can make an obvious statement, Atlanta in October is better than October, uh, Atlanta in July. Uh, same same for L.A. and and same for same for Denver. So I would put Newcomb as my fourth with Tukey ready to piggyback on the back end of that in case everything goes sideways. See, I, I, I know what you're saying. And, and Nuke's start last night against DeGrom, it was a pretty good start. But I still I don't trust it. He used his changeup a little bit more last night than he'd used in any of the previous starts, and maybe that had to do with getting skipped in the rotation a little bit. But he just hasn't had the juice in his lower half for me to trust that. And playoff baseball is such a different animal. I get that he had a great start against uh, against L.A. and against Colorado and was absolutely brilliant. But he was also throwing differently. He wasn't getting tagged the way he was. My starting rotation, I agree with your first three easily. I think it goes Fulty, Anibal, Gosman, just because you want to you wanna smash in Anibal because I think Fulty and Gauz are your two top ones. So you get a chance to go 1-0 with Fulty. If Anibal can, can go through, that's good, and you'll end up going 2-0. But if Anibal drops that game, you've got Gauz behind him who you feel confident in that you can kind of not go on a prolonged streak and keep that lead. The fourth spot pretty is, good idea. The fourth spot idea. is interesting. I still – I think that Tukey might have pitched his way out of starting, and it's a shame because it was horrible conditions. Um, but you saw even once the rain let up, Tukey's fastball command is just not there right now. The upside on that is he, he, he proved to you that he is good enough, he is so talented that he can get major league hitters out with just a curveball and a changeup, which was awesome. Uh, yeah. His curveball is already one of the elite ones in the game. You can put it up there with Kershaw's and Bumgarner's. It's already that high level. But I still think I still think I would rather roll with Tehran if you want a righty. Uh, I might go with Tukey to start that and bring Tehran in after. That way Tehran doesn't have to go through the first inning. Uh, but I think Tehran is, is 
should be rewarded for the way that he's pitched, and we'll see more about it as he goes tonight. I still, I'm not real happy about this fact, but I would put Max Fried as a starter before Sean Newcomb. I don't know why they are so against this idea, unless there's some news about Max Fried and, and how he's actually feeling that we're not privy to. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because when you look at the two and the two starts between them, Max Fried's start against St. Louis was as good as Newcomb's start against Colorado. And at times, Max Fried has shown you that he has as just as much potential as Sean Newcomb. So I'm not really sure why they're so dead set on using Max Fried out of the pen. But I, I would use Max as a starter. Normally, I would agree. It's just been so long that since he's really been relied on for anything. I've speculated on this last week. I think there might be something lingering from the groin that we just don't necessarily know about because he got reinstated. But he's... How many innings has he pitched? Four, like like Maybe. literally four since then. I mean, he's been he's been used so sparingly that I I don't think that you can lean on him to give you six solid innings or even four solid innings right now because he's been going one at a time every couple of weeks. And I loved I love Max Fried. I, I was stumping for him to be in the the rotation coming into this year, but it just didn't wind up going that way. But I put him put him in the bullpen for sure. Oh, for sure he's in my bullpen because I think Freed is your perfect piggyback guy if you're not going to start him. That's why it kind of strikes me as odd that they're not getting him a start here now that you've already clinched. I figured for sure you would have gotten him a start. I don't think you can put Bryce and Kyle on the roster because – and I feel bad for them because they're only getting to pitch like once every three weeks. But those two, they're not coming out of the bullpen. I think Bryce could handle it because he is a strike thrower. That's his game. But I think if you're looking at guys that you got to cut off the mark, those two are it. They've been getting hit very, very hard lately. Um, it, it's an interesting debate because everybody talks about the Braves' bullpen being bad. I don't think that the bullpen, with the additions of Sabatka and Vizcaino and cutting down on some of the other guys like Luke Jackson – I don't think they're as bad as everybody's pretending, portending that they are. I think the problem is they go through those streaks where none of them can throw strikes. And it's not like it's one guy, so you just don't go to that guy. That's the problem with the Braves' bullpen. They're all heavy strikeout guys. They're all power pitcher type of guys. And the problem with that lineup, uh, that, that line of pitcher is, you know, when they lose command, they lose command heavy, and they'll walk three or four guys. Yeah, th- these guys. Some it's like mono. You know what I mean? It just it infects one, and then it spreads to everybody. And it's weird too because some of these guys, like if it was just happening to Winkler and Biddle and Shane Carl, you know, these are the younger guys. But you're starting. You started to see it happen to Brock and Ventures too. Oh, I so, totally forgot Brad Brock. He's obviously in my rotation, my my bullpen rotation as well. That's on me. And I actually, when I started making my list, I had to go back and look at the 40 and say, I know I'm leaving somebody out here. I can't believe um, I forgot about Brock Steady. Well, you know, and is, was there a Bebop? Did we ever figure out who Bebop was? Brock, he's both of them. He's Brock Steady and B-Brock. Oh, there you go. So for my my uh, bullpen, I've got Viz, Mentor, Sabatka, Brock, Venters, Free. Dang it, I forgot Johnny too. Man, okay. Sam Freeman gone. Johnny takes his place. Boom. And I was I have the toss up between Biddle and Freeman. And the only reason why is because 
Sam Freeman, you know what you're, which Sam Freeman you're getting every time. You get him to start an inning, don't ever bring him in when there are people on base. The reason his ERA is low is because they are not his runners. He, <laughs> right. If, you, I, if I he need, comes in with people on base, they're scoring. Yeah, like I need to look up the number. I don't have it in front of me, but I'd be willing to bet that he is leading the entire world in inherited runs allowing them It was like score. the Peter Moylan thing. I mean, don't forget Peter Moylan was the king of that. His, his ERA was not bad for most of his tenure this season. The problem was every runner – that was on base when he came into a game with scoring and then he'd get his guys out. Right. So, you know who Sam Freeman is, but with Jesse Biddle, are you going to get super effective Jesse Biddle? Or are you going to get late season Jesse Biddle? Who's following in that same role as mentor and, and some of these other guys where it's like, Oh man, that early season effectiveness. It was so great to see, but I wish you'd saved just a little bit for now. So I've, um, I have Biddle slash Freeman just because I, I legitimately don't know which I would go. And I would put Julio in the bullpen, too, just in case you need like a second long, uh, not long distance arm. Uh, long reliever. But I would, yeah. only put, I would only put Julio in the bullpen if you are planning on piggybacking him that day. Like I'd put him in there if you're talking about an opener. I think Julio has been grossly underrated the past month and a half. Everybody gets on to him because he gives up a couple runs in his first inning and people like lose their mind. Julio is one of the best pitchers in the game as far as opponents batting against him. They're hitting under 200. The problem with Julio is his walks, and that's been his problem for the past three years or so. But this has been, I believe this has been his worst year as far as walks are concerned. Um, I think his, his walks per nine is like the highest that they've ever been. The problem is you can give up home runs. There's plenty of great pitchers that give up the long ball. The difference is... Like, Max Scherzer gives up a ton of long balls. The problem is Julio walks people on base first and then gives up a two-run shot, and that's the difference. That's been that's been his thing for, for a long time, and that's it sucks to see. But he, you're right about him having been underrated for the past couple weeks. I mean, Tom Glavin used to give up runs in the first all the time. Tim Hudson used to give up runs in the first all the time. But – you know, and Julio does the same thing, and it's not okay because it's happening now. It's not happening then; it's happening now. So, he's he looks like a different guy. His his breaking stuff has been biting a lot more. His, the batting average against him, if he can manage the walks, then he's then he's set. You know, his the batting average against he's behind like Degrom and Scherzer. Like he's, he's legitimately third in the league at at uh, opponents' batting average. So, I do. I don't know if the problems with Julio is the first inning or his first inning, so I still don't know if the opener idea would work for him. Like That's if you true, to get, too. I, I don't know who you would put in front of him to knock somebody out that you wouldn't want in, in your back pocket for the for the rest of the game. But uh, I'd definitely take him because he's one of the few guys on this roster that has playoff experience to begin with, even if it was just the um, just in the very early part of his career. Do you think that's overrated a little bit? The playoff experience thing? I think for the younger guys, this might seem counterintuitive, but I don't think it's as big a deal for the younger guys. I think when you're – how old is he? 27? 28? Yeah. It's like he's old enough to know better, I guess. Like for somebody like Acuna or Albies, I don't care that they've never been to the postseason. But for some of these guys like Gossman and Julio and some of these guys that are maybe a little bit older and they've never really been too in the thick of it, um, 
I think that the nerves would set them in more for them because they're, they're getting there at 27, 28, and they're going, man, I have never had this happen before. I hope I don't blow it. You know, they don't have their entire careers ahead of them the same way the other guys do. So what do you think? I think that that's a good point. Originally, I was going to say that it's overrated, but thinking about it from like a Gosman point of view, he's been in the league long enough to know, like to, to have that yearning to, to get to the playoffs and just pitch in the playoffs. And he was a high pick and he wasn't working out in Baltimore. Shocker of all shockers. You saw the graphics. If you ever see the graphics, take a look at how little his changeup usage was in Baltimore and how high it is here and let you know that, that uh, let you know why and i'm not going to say his name again but to let you know that baltimore has a horrible pitching coach uh, but i think that that was a really good point uh about that i think that 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 there could be some real nerves as far as Anna, even anibal it's been a long time since anibal's pitched in the postseason uh anibal and, and gosman uh and even fulty to a degree fulty i don't think will get affected by the nerves as much as sometimes his emotions can get the best of him uh, and in playoff time, everything gets ratcheted up a little bit. But I think you're right about that. I don't think it's any problem for rookies and second-year guys because it's not abnormal for them to be in the playoffs. I don't think that they've been in the league long enough to get that hunger, that kind of yearning about, I just want to play postseason ball, where it becomes like everything is about getting to the postseason. So I think that was a good call there. Uh, part of the reason the Braves have gotten to this postseason, why they've gotten to the playoffs and won the division, and why – Poor Philadelphia has uh, decided to climb down the mountain without saying on belay and their rope snapped. Um, it's defense. And we've talked about it before uh, that a lot of times in, in the analytical era, defense is kind of getting marginalized a little bit. Uh, you're seeing teams develop shifts and, and pre-pitch positioning to alleviate a lot of tensions on defense. Uh, the Braves, while they have done a lot of that, there's no doubt that they have put a premium on being able to handle the ball, and it has helped out every pitcher immeasurably. I think every Braves starter has a FIP higher than their ERA, uh, which which shows you that the defense has been outstanding. Uh, Dansby, for all for all the grief I give him offensively, and he is horrible to watch offensively, uh, but for all the grief I give him offensively, he's been phenomenal defensively. I mean, he's been... He's been incredible. He's been a huge help defensively to all of these pitchers. And then you've got Philadelphia, who just seems to go the opposite way, and they're creating a team full of first basemen in their infield. I remember in our our very uh, one of our first couple episodes, the first time we ever had Jason Waddell on, he was talking about uh, Pablo Sandoval and uh, having to go play first because he ate his way across the diamond. I mean, it's a similar story for Philadelphia, but it's not just across the diamond. It's like they're scattered out everywhere, you know, and that's not a weight thing. That's just you're, these are not insanely athletic guys that are playing for them. I mean, Carlos Santana, he was a great hitter in Cleveland, but he was. He was he though? Was he a great hitter or was he a guy that worked counts? Whatever he was doing, he's not doing it anymore. I and mean, you can kind of absorb some of that. But, I mean, when they were playing him at first, then, okay, he doesn't really fit that profile. But then they moved him across the diamond. And then he wasn't really doing too well over there either. And it's not his natural position. I mean, and you've got – when you've got Carlos Santana at third and Reese Hoskins playing left. I and mean, Reese, Reese Hoskins first. is – by, by measure of DRS, I mean, he's a worse fielder than Matt Kemp. Do you know how hard you have to try to be a worse fielder than Matt Kemp? You have to actively try. 
Yeah, and and so now when you look at what the Braves have done, just for uh, by measure of DRS, the Braves are third in all of baseball. I mean, the Diamondbacks have broken the MLB record. They have 150 DRS as a team this year. I mean, that is absurd, and I can't remember exactly what the Braves have, but it's huge too. I mean, they're saving you know anywhere between a third and two thirds of a run every every game by if you want to use that metric and divide it by 162. That's crazy. But now that Dansby not through any any uh, defensive miscue he made, but uh, just by a bad swing, he's going to be out. And I think we have all seen what Charlie Culberson can do with the bat. He is not a wizard with the glove. And if he's taken over for Dansby, um, that weakens the defense a little bit. And it also shortens the bench because now Culberson – is in the starting lineup, so what's your bench look like? I think that's it? that's the key for me because Charlie, up until this year, was actually an extremely good fielder. It was the only thing that kept him on major league rosters. He was a very good defensive shortstop. This year, he's mm-hmm. he's like completely done a 180, which is fine because, I, as I tend to say, I think the offensive profile is a little bit more important in today's game because you can mitigate some, some range issues. You can never mitigate somebody that has bad hands but if somebody has good hands like Camargo and just doesn't have a ton of range right and left, you can mitigate that with with the analytics and where you position the players. I think the problem for me with uh, with with the Phillies and with Kapler in general, um, putting Santana at third, I'm you can you can live with having a really bad defensive third baseman. You can live with it. We've seen plenty of teams do it. The Yankees seem to be doing just fine with Miguel Andujar, and he has not been a good defensive third baseman. He just crushes baseballs. Uh, the problem is you'd think that a guy like Kapler, who is very in tune with analytics, you think he'd be smart. He'd be smart enough to realize that when you shift and the Phillies shift a lot, why on God's green earth, you would leave Carlos Santana as the only guy on the left side of your infield. Wouldn't you think that you would swap him and whoever is playing shortstop at the time so that your shortstop is the only defender on the left side and Santana is playing next to the second baseman. Like, wouldn't that seem to make more sense? You would think, and I, and I wonder too, like because the Braves have obviously implemented a lot of analytics this year versus versus what Philly has done, and I just wonder how much of it is the presentation and how much of it is sticking staunchly to, you know, okay, this is what the numbers are telling us and this is what the eye test is telling us, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. And Philadelphia is like they have gone full tilt analytics, everything all of the time. They were still shifting on Freddie Freeman. Why would you do that? You know, that's the numbers don't even bear that out, let alone the eye test. I mean, anybody who has watched Freddie Freeman for more than five at bats knows that his comfort zone is going to left center. So why do you have three guys on the right side of your infield? So I wonder if some of the the programs that they're running or the data that, that they're making work for them, if they're just still working on how to interpret it and present it, or if it's just a. I think just that big of a difference, that big of a shift between the two teams. I think it's. I think it comes down to Kapler. I don't think Kapler has the instincts to implement analytics correctly. I think he has to stick to the overall blueprint because he does not have the in-game instincts to know when it's better to leave something alone. Like analytics will tell you, take your pitcher out before the third time through the order. So he does it. The problem is he has a guy like Aaron Nola who. I don't know if you know this, but Aaron Nola, if this were any other year, would be winning your Cy Young Award this year. Aaron Nola is a guy that he's a better option, even the third time through the order, than anybody in your bullpen. But Kapler does not have the instinctual awareness 
to go against the analytics in that individual department. And that, to me, is the problem with the Phillies. They gave him, they gave him plenty of offense, even though it didn't always hit right right now. They have an offense over there. You talk about Hoskins and Odubel Herrera, who's probably furious about play, batting in eight different spots all the time this year and can't tell when he's actually playing or not. But Nick Williams and Aaron Altair and Roman Quinn and uh, Carlos Santana, Justin Bohr, Asdrubal Cabrera, Cesar Hernandez. They have Wilson Ramos. They have a lineup. They've got a heck of a, of a lineup. The problem is you he just cannot seem to help himself he doesn't let any guy really get into a rhythm and i think that that's something that's kind of understated when everybody talks about you know platoon here platoon there you can't platoon every position because much like football much like running backs players develop a rhythm and if you're not getting steady at bats you're not getting 8 10 12 at bats in a week then you're not going to be at your best and you're not going to work through things you're going to continue to struggle that to me is the difference between a guy like snicker and a guy like kapler does kapler know more analytically oh heck yeah but snicker has a little bit more instinctual awareness through going through bobby cox and just through being in the being in baseball for 40 years he knows enough to know when to go against the grain now it does not always work obviously we we talked about that numerous times where he's gone too traditional and just ignored everything and gone with like Sam Freeman when he shouldn't have, but it works out a ton of times. And we talk about what the Braves are doing now. The Braves have enough versatility in their lineup to where a lot of their bench players are just as good or a touch under the starters to where when you do swap out, you're not really losing a whole lot. And I think that's a very important thing too. The Braves are a very balanced team. The problem you're going to get now with Dansby and having that torn ligament in his hand is as much as I cringe watching Dansby hit, you have significantly hurt your bench because now we're talking about Ryan Flaherty being on a playoff roster and he might actually have to get used. He's starting tonight at first. I don't care about that. Let me get this out of the way. I do not care. I want to selfishly, I want the Braves to get to 90 wins and stop there because that's what I predicted in OFR's uh season report i either said 89 or 90 so selfishly i don't want them to go beyond that uh we'll talk about home field in a little bit when we do the playoff breakdowns but my my thing is i don't want to see ryan flaherty hit period oh no and and i'm there was a lot going on on twitter yesterday we're talking about what are the rules for adding somebody to the playoff roster you know and and clarifying could they add austin riley or could could they add somebody like ray patrick ditter as a backup and speed guy and the, the same kind of like Terrence Gore mold, but to lose the goose. I mean, and he, he's another option too. I mean, this, this system for as stacked as it is so much of it has to do with pitching. Um, and it, it's not, you don't have a ton of middle infielders anymore. You know, you don't have Albies or Camargo or, um, any of those guys. Cause they're, they're already up on the big, big league club now. And uh, from everything I can understand, they're not going to bring anybody up. They are comfortable with what they've got, um, which is kind of perplexing. It is a little bit. If, if they had the ability to add somebody, I don't know why they wouldn't necessarily take it. But tonight they've got Duvall playing in left and Flaherty playing first, uh, partially to give Ender and Freddie the, a little bit of rest. But also I think that they're just trying to figure out, like, okay, well, Flaherty hasn't gotten a hit since June, literally. So maybe we should get him some at bats. <laughs> Hold on, say that. Say that one more time. 
No, I mean, he's, I really don't think he has a hit since June. I, I legitimately don't think he does. That's incredible. So, and Lucas Duda becomes even more important now because yeah. you, you now you have to you have to think about when do you pinch hit Lucas Duda? Uh, I cuz you don't, don't you don't have Charlie don't to pair with it where you can use one and then the other and feel really good about both of them. Now you've got one guy. Now Duval at any point could turn it on and start hitting homers. He has not done it yet. I would not count on it. Uh so when you start talking about the bench, you've got Lane Adams, you've got Adam Duvall, you've got Preston Tucker, you've got Ryan Flaherty, and you've got Lucas Duda all vying for spots on the bench, as well as, I guess, Renee Rivera. But I don't see them carrying three catchers unless their plan is to only use Kurt as a pinch hitter. I do not see them using three catchers, mostly because you know you're never going to play Renee Rivera unless, for whatever reason, you're playing, like, I, I cannot conceive a, uh, a scenario where they would be using Rene Rivera. No, same. I, I think that he is, he is fantastic depth. I'm glad he's been there, but while there have been where there's room on the 40, but once you got a trim, he's a pretty, pretty obvious casualty. I, I don't feel uh, too bad about the idea of having Lane Adams on the bench for the playoffs. No, you know, he's speed, obviously. Um, yeah, he's obviously got the speed. He's uh, he's pretty good on defense. He can hit for some power because of his speed. He can turn. Um, he's he's a guy that you want on the bases. He will wind up serving that Terrence Gore role more often than not. He you know late inning pinch runner, uh, not even necessarily a defensive replacement because you're not going to want to pull uh, any of the guys that are traditionally playing the outfield. But uh, but yeah, this this is a, a big blow, and the the defense has been the, the calling card all year. There's a great article in the Athletic last week talking about uh, how Dansby's defense has improved so much this year, and now I just find myself going, "How long would it take for Ron Washington to work with Lucas Duda and turn him into a middle infielder?" <laughs> you mean, know, it makes so, me wonder. So, Rio as well. I keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting that Rio's up here. Uh, I guess Rio gives you a little versatility. I don't know why Rio was called up and not Carlos Franco. Uh, I think Carlos Franco is the better hitter. And Rio, I don't think Rio's been playing third, but I guess he, I guess you could put him there. Oh, part of that was because Riley came up. Rio was a little more um, spread around. He was playing some first. He was playing a little bit of left. So emergency backup outfielder, I suppose. But emergency backup you know, to the backup. Well, the the biggest thing about Rio is you can't really hit lefties all that well. Can't really hit so, anybody very well. Yeah, I mean. Well, if if you have to choose, you know, definitely put him up against a righty. He had like a five fifty OPS against lefties the last two years or something, which is not not great. So this this is obviously um, I don't want to necessarily say it's a problem, but it's it's something to keep an eye on, you know. And what Dansby lacks offensively, he makes up for defensively, and it's vice versa with Culberson. He's um, he's probably a better defender than it made it sound like I was insinuating earlier, and he's he's a better hitter. Than, uh, than Dansby is, and he's got the clutch gene. I, I'd feel pretty good about having either of those guys up in a must-get-a-hit type situation. So it just depends on what you value. It's it's similar to in the same way that you would trade out Kurt for, for Flowers. Flowers is su- superior defensively, especially with the, the framing metrics, even though neither of them can really throw anybody out. But <laughs> At all. he and... Yeah, so that that'll be something to keep an eye on for next year. But but with Suzuki, he's such an offensive threat that some of his the stuff where he might not be as polished as Flowers on defense, you can 
yeah, it's six and one, half a dozen in the other. You have to look at the at the whole package for these guys. So, and part of it could depend on who they who they match up against. You know, if it's a team like Colorado, if you're if you're playing at cores, you know, you've got the 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 thin air. You're going to see more fly balls, more home runs out there. I think so. Maybe it wouldn't be quite as big of a deal, but it's going to come down to some some pivotal play in the NLDS. Whoever it's against, wherever it is, it's going to come down to Charlie Collerson. You know what I mean? And I hope that that he doesn't get like stone hands or something. So, well, that's that's the know. thing too, because even going into this playoff series, I was going back and forth on whether I preferred to start Charlie for his bat and then bring Dansby in as the defensive replacement because Dansby's defense is the best of anybody in the infield or, or however else that goes, because I keep going back and forth on whether I want the offensive punch or whether I want as much ground covered as possible on defense. And I don't really have, I don't have an option for both. It's either one or the other. Unfortunately, uh, I can't cheat and just go, well, give me both. Um, but, I, I I struggle looking at it. I still th- I'm not going to take anything away. I still think the Braves are the second best team in the National League. Uh, I think the Brewers, when they're hot like they are now, are a real problem. But I still think the only team that is more talented, top to bottom, is the Dodgers. And speaking of the Dodgers, we've mentioned it a couple times on this show. The Braves still don't know who they're going to play. If the season ended right now, it'd be Colorado. They're half a game up on the Dodgers. Uh, but, I mean, they've got plenty of time to turn that around. Colorado's lucky that they're playing some crappy teams here from our division to close out the season. Who would you rather play between the Dodgers and the Rockies? I think I'd rather play the Rockies. Um, I would the agree. Series, the series in April, Braves looked pretty good, matched up against them pretty well. Um, they beat Kyle Freeland, but that, that's one crazy thing about this season is how, you know, they beat DeGrom five times. They beat Nola a couple times. They beat Scherzer. They beat Sale. They beat Snell. They beat and Kyle Freeland is not quite in that same tier, but he's the best pitcher that Colorado's got, and they looked really good against him. In the series in August when they came to Atlanta, Braves got swept. Well, only one of those was a blowout. Two of those, they were leading going into the ninth inning, and you know, nine times out of 10 or, or 18 times out of 20, those games were close enough to where you could say that that nine nine times out of 10 or 18 out of 20, then they're going to win those games. And what we saw were times number 19 and 20. Close enough to where, and then the fourth game of that series, they lost two to one. So that was within striking distance. So I think if you replay that series, it was close enough to where you could legitimately say the Braves could take three out of four in the exact same circumstances. So Dodgers lineup does scare me. I mean, anytime you're looking at facing Machado and Bellinger and Max Muncy, who is apparently a thing this year. And Max um, Muncy, who, by the way, let's not bury the fact that Mac, Max Muncy is statistically speaking one of the best power hitters in baseball. And they decided that he needed to be a bench player most nights. Like they went out and got Brian Dozier added to that squad. And then they went out and got David Freeze to go platoon with him at first base too. And then they went out and they got, you know, they have Manny Machado. Now they got Justin Turner back. Like the, how crazy that Max Muncy can come out of nowhere, hit like 35 homers and find himself benched. Baseball's weird, man. It's, it's the, the best game for so many reasons, but it's kind of the worst game in that, that exact same reason. You know, it's, it, you just have these moments where everybody's waiting for somebody to turn back into a pumpkin and then 
he just defies the odds and it's like okay well i guess i'll just hit pinch hit home runs now whatever <laughs> right <laughs> what, what do you want me to do so the the dodgers do scare me uh, i think their pitching is better i think um i would just rather not even have to worry about them at all if possible and they're far enough out of the wild card i think to where they're well you know what I'm just kind of talking out of my ass here. I'm, I'm looking of, it up. One of those two is going to be the wild card team. Whichever one doesn't win that division will be the wild card. That's true because St. Louis, um, St. Louis fell behind. Um, yeah, St. Louis time, needed to win like every other game and hope that everybody else lost like all their games. Yeah, bad time for them to uh, to run into a Brewers team that's hotter than the surface of the sun. So, um, if if it's Milwaukee, LA in the wild card game, then whoever. Wins that goes on to face the Cubs as currently designed, and then we would face the Rockies right right this second. So right this second, that is a favorable matchup for me. But uh, I would assume that since you're kind of uh, trembling about the Dodgers a little bit too, that you'd rather face Colorado. Absolutely, and it's for Trevor Story. I'm amazed that he's back in the lineup. He's going to have to have Tommy John. It's going to happen. Um, you don't just damage your ligament like that and have nothing. He's trying to power through it for the playoffs, but he's not at 100. percent and Trevor Story is the second best player on that team, obviously behind Nolan Arenado. Now, facing all Nolan sucks. I don't want to face Nolan at all. But I'd rather face Nolan and all of the – really because Colorado does not have good pitching really anywhere but Adam Ottavino. They don't have good starters. Freeland is good, but he's not great. I don't think that – I if I were to absolutely take the best night of Freeland – I'd put him on par with Fulte on a good night. I don't think he's any better than Fulte. I th- actually think he's worse than Fulte. Uh, but like John Gray, Antonio Sensatella, um, Herman Marquez, even though he has the most 10 strikeout performances of any pitcher in baseball, really, like that's weird, but he still has like, he still gets up a ton of home runs. I'm not worried about old Carlos Gonzalez. Charlie Blackman scares you because Charlie Blackman is, is just outside of having the worst hair in baseball. He's like the fountain, of, the classic fountain of youth player that just woke up one day. I was like, huh, I think I'm going to be good now. And was. David Dahl is hot. But it, it's really no comparison. We were talking about that Dodgers lineup. All the names that I laid out for you. I mean, Justin Turner's back and he is hitting. I mean, Jock Turner's a guy. Jock Peterson's a guy that they only play in versus right-handers. And he still hits a ton of bombs. Like, Jock Peterson is not a great player. But because of the insane depth that the Dodgers have, he doesn't have to be. Like, they can put him in against the the people that he does well against. And they can put all of their players in the best position to win. The Dodgers can literally roll out two totally different lineups from game one and game two and still beat you because all of like they they are the most specialized unit of any team I think in all of baseball. Like they have probably seven or eight players that I don't think are good enough to be full time starters. Probably seven or eight, but they all platoon with each other. And they all are okay with it because they win and because they're in L.A. And because you have a pitching rotation that has Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Hinjin Ryu, who's all of a sudden dominating, and Alex Wood and uh, Kinta Maeda, who's also really good. Rich Hill. And Rich Hill, who never seems – Rich Hill can only throw the ball 82 miles an hour, but it doesn't seem to stop him from striking out 12 people. I mean, it's – that Dodgers team is scary, and they've got some bullpen issues too. They've got some command issues in their bullpen, but like the Braves, their their bullpen are heavy, heavy power guys. Who, if everything's clicking for them, they're going to strike you out on three pitches, and you're not going to touch one. Kenley Jansen, if he's got it working, you're not going to touch him. So 
I would much rather play anybody else in the NL than the Dodgers. I um, I tell you what, I hope that Milwaukee beats LA in the wild card, and then I hope the Cubs beat the Brewers because Agreed. the Brewers scare the crap out of me. Like on the same level that like Boston and Houston do. Really, I there's something about that lineup, and I know that the the Braves played uh, well against them uh, the second time they faced them, but their starting pitching is is kind of a big That's nothing burger. That's the thing to me. Their bullpen is absurd. Josh Hader is a piece of trash, but he is a really good pitcher. Jeremy Jeffress is like that guy is so fun to watch. Um, but there's something about that lineup and Christian Yelich, uh, Lorenzo Cain, and Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar. I mean, big, big, and they're they're hitting their stride at just the right time. You know, they you can make a case that the Brewers are, are the uh, are the are the best team in, in the National League. And so when I'm, you know, Boston, we saw Boston, we saw what they can do. We know they're big and bad, but they're like the Titanic of these teams. It's like they're too big to sink. And for that reason, you spring like a leak in them early. I could see them not even getting out of the ALDS. That's not a prediction, but I could see a situation where well, I mean, the, like the AL playoffs are insane. You're going to the wild card game is going to be between 200 game winners. Yeah, what is this this version of baseball that we're seeing right now? You know, and it's a shame. Like it's what happened to the Pirates a couple of years ago when they won ninety seven, ninety eight for like three straight years, and they lost in the wild card game every year. Like, how are you going to tell the A's that they're not good enough to move on to the next round, right. or the Yankees? Right. The like, Yankees are like, aren't the Yankees like eighteen games back, and they're like the fourth place team in all of baseball? Yeah, it's and they. I just you can't say enough in any other year, you know, in a team like having 200 win teams in the same division, not just the same league, but in the same division. And then you you have Tampa in there as well, who would have been leading most of the divisions in the American League. Granted, the Orioles, uh, how far out of the Orioles? Like 50 games, uh, maybe 55. I've. I think they're. I think they're. Uh, let's let's see. I'm, I'm. I do not want to misquote this. I'm going to guess uh, 53 and a half games out of first. Well, the the Orioles are 60 and a half games back, but oh, on, on, Lord, only 60 in the loss column. So they got that going for them. <laughs> good so, Lord. By the way, you want to talk about teams? You want to talk about? Oh, analytics are useless. Yeah, take a look at Baltimore, the worst analytics department in baseball, and uh, you see that there. Same thing with Kansas City. Those two are really setting themselves up for extended rebuilds. And, uh, you know, I think they've both made it to lockdown one and two picks in the draft next year. So, score. Oh, it is ugly. (laughs) You know, and if Baltimore doesn't wind up getting either of the Mesas, then part of that is all for trade. It's all for nothing. Yeah. I mean, and they've they've got money to spend, and they're they're looking at – at revamping their international scouting because revamping. it sounds hyper. You mean starting well, one up, period? Because they don't have one. Yeah, like they're they're finally developing one. Like it sounds hyperbolic, but they haven't signed an international free agent. Or this year was the first one that they've signed in like since the last time Braves were in playoffs. Before then, even so, <laughs> it just seems so insane. Yeah, so so the AL East is crazy stacked. Cleveland, they made their living playing against bad teams all year. And uh, Houston was my pick to win the World Series coming into the year. I, th- I said too. coming into the year it'd be Houston, L.A. So my, I, I agree with that. I think here's the thing, though. That 
I, I, I try to find scenarios for who can beat Boston. I don't see a scenario because I, I can't find a weakness. If you want to point to a weakness, maybe their middle reliever because their eighth and ninth guys are dominant. Chris Sale's incredible. I mean, every one of their starters has been great. Um, maybe maybe you get Nate Ivaldi on an off day. Maybe. I don't see Chris Sale being off. Uh, but their pitching rotation is strong. Their lineup is insane and deep. Maybe you catch a day where Mookie is, is hung over or something. Maybe, whatever. Uh, but the problem then is Andrew Benintendi can carry a lineup. Uh, I mean, they, they've just got studs all around. I still don't – I actually didn't pick them to win the World Series, and I still – I still am not sure if I would. I still think Houston is a more well-balanced team than Boston. When you talk about pitching one through five, Boston is strong one through five. Houston is dominant one through four, one through five. One through four, they're dominant. One through five, they're still better than most people. Uh, Houston's lineup, I mean, Alex Bregman is a man possessed. He can do everything on a baseball field. If they get Springer and Correa in a groove after missing them most of the season, that's just stupid insanely talented for them uh their bullpen is also really really good the yankees i don't think have the yankees are a weird team like i look at their bullpen and the names they have and i keep thinking like they should be the best bullpen in the world just the names that are in there like zach Britton is like their sixth inning guy and he's been horrible but the yankees have some guys i just think it's a little too soon for i i think cleveland is going to surprise a lot of people when you talk about that rotation, they had four 200 strikeout pitchers. Four pitchers out of their starting five had had 200 strikeouts. That's just that's insane. They have Corey Kluber, they have Danny Salazar, they have Carlos Carrasco, they have Mike Clevenger. All four of those guys are really, really good. And Trevor Bauer. I don't know why and, I was going to forget Trevor yeah. Bauer, uh, who's insane. Um, when you talk about a one-two-three of Kluber, Carrasco, and Bauer. How are you supposed to defend that? And, yes, I know their bullpen has been bad. The only thing that I think is against them right now is that Andrew Miller, they don't have Andrew Miller. But Brad Hand has been outstanding for them. And they've got, you know, they just went at a Josh Donaldson who, if he gets to be anything in this postseason, I have a feeling that Josh Donaldson is going to come up in a major at-bat, and that's going to play a huge role in one of these series. They, unfortunately, they drew the Astros. So they're – for as good as their one through three is, what are you looking at for Houston? You're looking at Verlander, Cole, and would you go Verlander? Would you go McCullers over Morton? Charlie's Charlie was hurt though, right? I don't know. Charlie's hurt. Where, where does Keuchel fit in? See, Keuchel's the worst in the starting rotation for the Astros to me. He's the most consistent, I guess, but he's the worst overall. So in a playoff rotation, I have Keuchel on speed dial if I need him to, but. The greatest game for Keuchel is not equal to the greatest game for McCullers. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's that's going to be a really interesting series. And part of the part of the reason going back to, to Boston versus Wild Card, that's kind of where I'm getting the feeling that they could wind up um, getting toppled. What because, if the I mean, A's beat Boston? Let's just say, what if the A's continue the miracle season? Because let's play this all the way out. For folks wondering what the Braves' chances are in the World Series against the AL East or against the AL anybody, the Braves have a less than 1% chance in my mind of winning the World Series, even if we make it, which I don't care about. If you make it, I'm fine. The only the only chance the Braves would have in a World Series is if somehow the A's shock the world and make it to the World Series. The Braves match up really well with Oakland. If the Braves get eliminated, I'm immediately jumping on the A's 
bandwagon. That what a cool story! What a what a fun season they they wound up having. Plus, if you're an A's fan, you get to watch Blake Trinan pitch. Uh, right. All the time. I hate you a little bit for that because you get to watch Blake Trinan. But like that A's team, I don't want to gloss over what they've done this year because I think that their manager might be he should win manager of the year for all of baseball. Look at their look at their lineup. Matt Chapman is an absolute stud. That's like the only stud that they have. Like they don't have like Chris Davis can mash, but he can't do anything else. Like horrible defender, slow as dirt, tiny guy. He's like five nine. I don't know how he generates as much power as he does. But that's like it. Matt Chapman is like the only guy you look at as, God, I would give anything to have that guy on my team. They don't have any other superstar player besides training. Like, they don't have an insanely, like, Sean Mania is talented, but would you say that Sean Mania is any more talented than Fulte? Uh, not necessarily, but Mania's out. You know what I mean? Right. So like, they, they don't, they, I don't they, know how they're doing it. Yeah. They, every time you turn, I mean, there's people probably saying the same thing about the Braves. You know, where it just has that that feel of coming out of nowhere and you weren't supposed to be this good. How are you this good? We know how good our team is capable of being because we've we've watched thousands, literally thousands of, of at bats this season. You know what I mean? For but for Oakland from a from a distance, I'm like, I I don't understand how they're doing it either. I they thought got that, a guy on the, I thought they the were going to be bought. Go ahead. Nick Tropiano. Oh, oh no. Uh. Nick Martini, who to oh, me yeah. it sounds like <laughs> yeah, like a bad James Bond spoof. Yeah, or it's like a Nick Swisher trying to use an alias in, in like some <laughs> swaggy hotel. I I thought that the, I really thought that they'd be battling for worst in their division. I they're going to win a hundred games. Just look at their oh yeah, like look at what Jed Lowry has done for them this year. I mean. Marcus Simeon's only hit like 13 homers, and that's a guy that hit like 27 a year ago. I do not understand. Ramon Laureano, a guy who I don't know if he was really highly ranked or not. I had never really heard of him coming into this year. Ramon Laureano is like is playing major role. The the thing that most people know him for is going to be it's that throw, throw that he made from from the warning track, yeah. Which is, but that's that's not his whole game, man. Like they they are there is something special going on in Oakland right now, and I agree with you. I think they could match up with the Braves um, really well, and I think that that would be Honestly, kind of like a good new school matchup. I would pick the Braves to win that because I still say that Ronald Acuna would be the best player on the field. Uh, but I, I digress. Going all the way back to your Milwaukee comment, I think I would agree with you. The Milwaukee lineup is definitely the scariest in all of the National League. The way that they are all hitting on all cylinders at the same time is the scariest thing. Travis Shaw, Mike Moustakis, they're basically the same player, but at any time Travis Shaw can go nuts on you. Christian Yelich is your NL MVP uh, although I would still vote for DeGrom. I know he's going to get Cy Young, too. I would just vote for DeGrom anyway because he's been that special this year. But Christian Yelich is going to win your MVP. He's going to deserve it, too. Uh, he's had two cycles this year. Two cycles in the same month, I think, which is just stupid. Um, the only thing with Milwaukee is I hate their starting rotation. Now, their bullpen, you mentioned a couple of their guys. They're so good and so deep that their starters really only have to go four or five innings. Hayter is a former starter. He can go more than one inning. Jeremy Jeffers can go more than one inning. Corey Knable is very good. He can go more than one inning. The problem with them is I think that there's a, a ton of lineups in these playoffs, whether it's L.A., whether it's Chicago, whether it's us, that can put up enough runs early on them 
to where you can put them deep into a hole and you can win those games. Because I do not was Chase Anderson going to be their number one guy? Freddie Peralta? I, I don't. I do not like their starters at all. I think they have the worst rotation out of anybody in the playoffs. I am not entirely sure the Braves don't have the worst starting in the playoffs. I would take Fulte, Gosman, and Anibal, at least those three, over Chase Anderson. Um, uh, what's his name? Freddie Peralta and uh, crap. Who's, who's the number two? Is that a, Junior Wera? Uh, Javier Wera? Not him. Uh, the other guy. I can't remember his name right now, but he's a guy that does not strike out anybody. He's very similar to Anibal. He's just kind of young. Had a really good year last year, but peripherals don't don't match. There's just something about him, you know. Good good offense makes up for bad defense sometimes. We, good offense makes up for bad pitching sometimes. They there's just there's that feeling. I have nothing. They've got nothing that juggernaut meaningful to attach to it. They've I just, got that. I, they've got that juggernaut on them where like. At any moment, they could just put up like 15 runs. At any moment, you could be stuck in an inning where you've got them 0-2 with two outs, and then they could put up six runs. They do have that type of lineup. But we've talked a lot about the teams that scare us, so let, let's give Brave fans something good. What teams are you most confident in facing? Like, What, what teams do you go ahead and circle as a win? No, I think, like I said, I think the, the Rockies could wind up being a really good matchup for the Braves. Um Acuna didn't have the chance to play at Coors, did he? No. I would really like to see him take batting practice in Coors. Uh, but as as far as in game stuff, I think I think you could put the Braves down to um, to beat Colorado. I think the Braves could beat the Cubs too. Uh, their lineup is really scary, but they're they're similar with their pitching. It's just grossly inconsistent, and and uh, Pedro Strope is out at least for the NLDS, and I think Brandon Morrow's done for the full year. Yep. So. Yeah, I don't. I think the Braves could beat the Rockies, beat the Cubs. They could beat the Brewers too, but there's just something about that. And as far as the Dodgers, I I, I really don't know about them beating the Dodgers. I think I agree. I think that we could definitely beat the Rockies. I think the Cubs are the team that I'm most confident in. Like I don't, I don't feel strong about like against any of their rotation. Like none of them really scare me. I mean, if they had you Darvish and and John Lester, that'd be a good one too. But Neither of those, like John Lester, this is not the same John Lester that was dominating the postseason back with Boston. I mean, this John Lester, if you hit it to him, he can't throw you out at first. <laughs> He's got to jog it over there. Uh, That's jo- such a weird quirk. I mean, Chuck Knobloch, I mean, Ryan Zimmerman had the same problem. He still can't throw the ball to second base. But Lester's a guy that it depends on what day it is. I mean, if, if he's on, he'll shut you out still. But if Lester's not on, you're going to put up like seven runs on him. Like I, I don't see a guy in their rotation that I'm like, crap, we're going to get blank today. Like I don't, I don't see that out of anybody. Mike Montgomery, he did it to us once this year, but Mike Montgomery is not a guy that you worry about. Their bullpen, without Strope and without uh, uh, Brandon Morrow, I'm not worried about really anybody in their bullpen. I think their lineup is scary, but it's navigable because Chris Bryant is not healthy. I'm sure he's going to play, but he's not healthy. Um you know, Rizzo, Rizzo is good, but you can get Rizzo out. There are certain places where you can pitch to get him out. The question mark is Javi Baez. And, you know, Javi Baez has had an insane year. I believe he's on, on like sitting on like 34, 35 homers, which is insane. Um, but Wilson Contreras has been kind of up and down this year. 
there are places you can go in that lineup. I think the Cubs are a little bit of a paper tiger. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, it seems seems weird to to have them on that list of, of teams I feel really confident beating. But yeah, I think you're right about the starting pitching bullpen. Yeah, uh, Carl Edwards was really effective for them earlier in the year, but he's he's kind of fallen off too. So if it comes to that, like I said, I, I would like to see uh, Milwaukee beat LA and then the Cubs beat the Brewers. I agree. I'll take take my chances with the uh, take my chances with the Rockies and take my chances with the Cubs. But I still, I tell you what, man, and this could be just foolish optimism, and and I'm prone to that. If you told me I was being too optimistic, it wouldn't be the first time that happened to me in my life. But uh, I still think the Braves have a have a deep playoff run in them. There's ever since. And I know this was based on Kapler's stupidity. I know that pulling Aaron Nola after 68 pitches on opening day was dumb. But it set the stage for the Braves to make that huge comeback that was such a massive thing to happen on opening day. It set the tone for the rest of the season. There has been this feeling of something being in the water. There, There is something about this team, dude. I'm, I really think there could be something here. I'm not going to come out. I'm not going to go to Vegas and put money on them winning the World Series. But uh, I until they have been eliminated. Why would you go to Vegas when you just go to mybookie.ag? That's right. That's right. So uh, I I just until they're out, then I'm full tilt. I believe. I believe so hard. I've already started growing my playoff beard. Um, I had to trim my playoff mustache because I looked homeless. But uh, I'm I'm in it. Let's. Freaking go. I'm right there with you, man. I, I am fully in. And I think the the ability for the Braves to come back late in game, seventh inning and later, I just it's just so like it's such a hard predictor of a stat. Like you you don't go into a season projecting, all right, well my team's gonna come from behind more than any other team. But it's one of those little things that I think it's gonna come up huge. It's just one of those foreshadowings for a season. I agree with you. I think there's a late playoff run in here. Like I've said this before, I really think that we're better than anybody but the Dodgers, and I think that we can beat the Dodgers if if we get hot. We can beat the Dodgers. If the Braves are on one of their up streaks where everybody's hitting, they can beat anybody. Now, I'm not going to predict that they do win, but you know what? I'm going to go, and I'll say I'll step out on the ledge, and I'll say that the Braves make the World Series this year. I think that we can make it, and it's going to be just like 90, was it, 91. I think it'll be just like 91. We make the World Series. We're not quite ready to compete with, with the class of the AL unless the A's get their wish and they make it to the World Series. If the A's and the Braves play in the World Series, I will bet that the Braves win. You gonna use mybookie.ag or I sure will with our promo code Braves twenty five. <laughs> but uh, now we 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 actually went a lot longer on the show than we thought, so we're gonna go ahead and, and start winding down. But because it's been such a special season, I want to get this out there and Doc, give me your your greatest moment of the season and give me your worst moment of the season and put them in whatever order you wish. I think uh, the Red Sox loss is obviously the the easy one but i think that the cubs loss back in april when ah. they were playing that to me that was the worst because that was a bigger lead and they lost by more you know like with boston they they got the lead back and then it was brandon phillips who walked out you know like that one that was a dagger right but there was so much early promise that that was like the the first the cubs game was the first real time where this team was given an opportunity to show their resiliency, but man, I'll tell you what, 
they recovered from it nicely, but that was a gut punch. That was a bad one. <laughs> um, and for the best best moment of the year, the week that Culbertson hit walk-offs, it was against the Nats, and then I think the next day was against the Mets. Yeah, it was against like New York. The, yeah, on uh, that Memorial Day walk-off. And then later that week, or later in that Mets series, New York was up 6-2, to two, I think, in eighth or seventh or eighth Braves tied it up. And then Camargo hit the walk-off home run. That was where his mom was in town. That was the coolest walk-off. Just Camargo, just full oozing cool. Like he did not pimp or nothing. He hit and just dropped as soon as the bat touched. It was the coolest swing I've ever seen. Yeah. Blew a bubble, obviously while he was, while he was leaving the box. But uh, out of all of the different wins, I think that one, I, I remember I was on game coverage that night and it was, there was like a, 30, 40 minute rain delay to start. And I'm just like, Oh my God, come on. Let's just, if we're going to lose, I don't care, but I would like to get it over with. And then you could start to, because it had happened so many times earlier that week and early in the season, you start to see it get together. And this was like eight days after the, the comeback went against the Marlins that as soon as somebody got on base, you're like, I know what's about to happen. I can't believe this, but I, I'm, I can see the future right now. The Bridge are going to come back and win this game. And they did. That one That one stood out a lot. And uh, so many moments. So many freaking moments where they were out of games and it looked bad. Uh, one more honorable mention. Fulte, complete game shutout against the Nationals. Because that, if you go back and look at the standings, that was when they started to take a nosedive. That was... Um, that was like a couple of days after the Mets series that I was just talking about. So that that ten day span, that was real good. That was some real good baseball. So I have spoken enough about that. What about you? What's your what's your high and low? My low moment, I'll agree with you most definitely, was the Cubs loss. the The Red Sox one hurt, but the Red Sox are good enough to do that to anybody. That Cubs one, that was like your first real test earlier in the year against. At that point, what somebody would who everybody thought was a top, top team, that was your first opportunity to show I'm here, I'm for real. And you had it, and it was such a horrible game as far as conditions, and everyone is frozen, and you, you have it in the bag, and then you lose it. The only other one that sucks that bad is the Rockies game that we were at. That oh, was, yeah, that sucked. That was pretty <laughs> bad. That was the one where every bullpen – or every bullpen piece brought in gave up not just runs but gave up home runs where Luke Jackson blows the lead and then Minter blows the save and that that was just horrible to watch but the favorite moments I've got a few one of my favorites of the season is the very first game of the season the comeback win and the walk off from Nick Marcakis against Philadelphia in a game where Kapler had just made a clown out of himself and trying to bring in a pitcher that hadn't warmed up that was for that to happen, and for that to all happen right next to each other, you knew after that, you're like, all right, there's no way the Braves lose this. And then Marcakis hits his first, I believe that was his first career walk-off, too. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was that was insane. It was a great foreshadow. Uh, a little bit cliched one. When, the day that the Braves clinched, Acuna getting to catch that out and that little leg raise as he slaps the hands with Ender, I thought that <laughs> was one of the coolest moments. That was one of my favorite moments. And then... Mike Soroka's first start, I believe it was against DeGrom, if I'm not mistaken. 
That's right. Well, I think that was the only game that DeGrom gave up four runs as well. Because I think DeGrom only gave up four runs once in the season. Oh, it was it was Syndergaard. Syndergaard, that okay. Start against okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that start against Soroka, to have somebody that you had been watching so much and you would saw in, in preseason play uh, in spring training, and to have a rookie come in and to, to do that right away at a time where – we were still figuring out the rotation. Fulte wasn't, you know, he was he was pitching well, but not quite as well as you thought. Newcomb was pitching really, really well. Julio and Anibal were kind of Julio was struggling. Anibal was was not was looking good, but we all thought it was, you know, about to clock was about to strike midnight. And then for Soroka to come in and just thoroughly dominate a lineup that at the time that they did it, I think at the time that they did it, the Mets were still like relatively close to that good run, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think that was when they had like gotten trash horrible. No, I think I think that they had uh, they had that eleven and one start. They kind of cooled off some, but they were. I think they might have been. We were neck and neck with them, right in the division. Yeah, that was before Philadelphia took off and uh, and did that. But I think that's probably that might be my overall favorite moment. And I, I try so hard. I have to keep reminding myself not to forget Mike Soroka. And I know the shoulder's a little bit troubling, but if there's anybody that's going to overcome shoulder troubles, it's going to be Mike Soroka. And uh, every time I think of him, I get a little smile to think that I've got a battle between him and Tukey and uh, Max Freed and. <laughs> Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright next year for and Sean Newcomb as well for for one or two spots in the rotation. I can't wait. Don't forget about Luis Gohara. And if if Gohara's still here, I think he gets traded. But Luis as well. If Luis is on it, I mean that's even better. You know how much I love me some Brigadiero. No, same. And I I'm just all season like to to go back into my favorite moments. I mean, can I can I just say the whole thing? Right. Like every, the entire season. Every, Every little thing from like seeing Acuna hit his first home run to that dude who caught it in the bleachers in Cincinnati, like as soon as he caught it, where you could see him go, Holy shit. And he and just it being a stuff. Braves fan and just took he, off and kept just, running. Just like, I'm done, dude. I'm not even I'm not even how is it gonna uh, get better than this? That was the best guy ever. Like there was no hesitation. Caught it and just ran. Yep, I'm out. And and uh Ozzy walking it off against the Reds. The I wasn't even watching the game against the Marlins when they came back. Dance like real time. Off. But I I was getting ready to go to Willie Nelson. And then like I I was keeping up with it on on game day on, on my phone, but I didn't uh, I didn't actually watch it. But I went back and I I have watched that particular inning of baseball more than maybe any inning ever. Because it's just it's stunning. And Every little thing was so important. Tukey came up and Bryce and all of the just everything. And and this year, you know, with doing the writing and, and doing this, it's like it's given me more incentive to pay attention. Like I, I always paid attention before, but now it's like everything is magnified and I'm like I'm no analyst. I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at, at stuff. I'm basically all I'm doing is watching TV and you Indeed. know a bunch of bunch of you know, a bunch of dudes wearing the the same clothes i'm obsessing over a bunch of bunch of strangers um playing a game but uh but yeah man i just and i'm we, i went on knock combination this week um just got yeah. interviewed by the the fabulous uh ken hendricks and josh brown and uh they were asking what i was most excited about for the playoffs and just saying like this is an actual return to relevance you know this is what we've been waiting for all of getting our hearts broken with Kimbrel being traded and Hayward. And I mean, 
it even sucked trading Tommy LaStella, you know, but now to have all of this and have it be meaningful and have it be year one, you know, and, and 10 years from now saying, God, I remember when we first crawled out of the dumpster and made it back to the top of the NL East, like what a season to to have the show for everyone. Yes, we are responsible for it. Platinum Sombrero has been around since March 2nd, and the Braves have won a division every single time. It's obviously because of us. Acuna's going to be Rookie of the Year. It's obviously because of us. We start a podcast, and Fulty all of a sudden halves his ERA. I don't think that's a coincidence. There's no way. I mean, there's no way. Duh, because that's what we do. And now that Doc has done his charity work and going on the Less Fortunate podcast and helping out those guys, I mean, good (laughs) things are coming our way. Now, I told Doc before we got on air that I was going to give him some homework this week. Uh, As you all know, because of Copygate, who who sold his soul so that the Braves could win a division, uh, the Braves are not allowed to participate, really, for all intents and purposes. They don't get to participate in international free agency as far as, like, young guys. What this means is the Braves have are in this weird spot where they can still get some Japanese free agents or Asian free agents. They have to be posted, though, so they're technically just free agents. So I've got some names here, Doc, that I need you to type down, and I want you to look them up. If you can find video of them, do it. But these are guys that I look that I'm going to give you, and I want you to tell me how you would rank them next week. If I had to guess, I would say that Yusei Kikuchi and Tetsuo Yamada are both going to be on this list. Tetsudo, right? Tetsudo Yamada. Tetsudo, I'm Japanese sorry. Japanese Mike Trout. You know, I, um, my God, I should, I should uh, send you a screen share of, uh, there's no way I spelled any of these four names right. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you the names. You're right, Kikuchi and Yamada are on there. Uh, Shintaro Fujinami. I hear you talk. All right. All right, so yep. uh, uh, Yuki Yana, or Yanagita. Yuki Yanagita. All right. And then Kodai Senga. K O D I A Senga. Okay. That's your homework. Look at those guys. Look at their numbers. Look at uh, ages and, and, and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Get back to me next week and rank them for me. Watch some video if you can find it. YouTube has a ton of Japanese baseball, by the way, for anybody else that wants to get to know those names. And for all for those of you that don't, I'm glad you listened to it anyway. Get to know those names because I'm a huge Yusei Kikuchi booster, and Tetsudo Yamada is one of my favorite players that's not in America right now. I think he's going to be a stud. But for everybody else, revel in the fact that we here in Atlanta, we have a playoff series in the most important sport in Atlanta. The Braves are finally, finally back in the playoffs, and it's not a stupid wild card. We won the division. The Phillies can get used to this. The Nationals can suck my balls. We won the division. This is ours, and all of you out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will catch you guys next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you, as always, by our partners at Armchair All-Americans. Doc, I will catch you next week, sir. Okay, I'll be right here. Play guitar, play guitar
Get thanks. Bye.